0: The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah chapter 17. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve.
1: So for those of you who notice things like this, I'm supposed to be wearing purple, not green we have even got the purple tie. Pastor Amy just asked me, like, why are you not wearing purple? It's because of that scripture that said its leaves are always green. Did you get it? So I'm just illustrating the Bible verse tonight. So for some of you, I know that uh, this is new to you. You have, how many of you have never been to an Ash Wednesday service? Would you raise your hand? So that's, you know, a good number of you, maybe even a fourth or so of you have not been here. So let me just explain a little bit about what this is. The season of Lent, the name Lent comes from the word lengthen, and it means when the days begin to lengthen. Believe it or not, you haven't felt it the last couple of days, but spring is on the way, and the days are going to get longer. And so th- that's basically all it is it's a connection between the days getting longer and this season of the year. You, you are aware that Easter, the date of Easter, changes each year, and you, you may not know exactly how they calculate Easter. Well, it's pretty easy, actually. It is the uh, the first Sunday after the last full moon after the spring equinox. So now you got it, right? So now you can calculate it next year even without a calendar. So Easter moves around and that way, you know, and spring actually uh, doesn't move, but uh, because of that, Ash Wednesday moves. So Ash Wednesday is the first day of 40 days of Lent, and they are lead us all the way up to Easter except you don't count Sundays. So if you choose an a, a Lenten discipline and things like, you know, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. You can eat it on Sunday. Now, if you give up lying for Lent, you can't give up that one on Sunday, all right? That's supposed to be like all the days. But, you know, generally, the, these, uh, so some people like to choose different spiritual disciplines. And the reason for that is, I'm not really hung up on which one you choose or how you do it. The reason for that is Easter and Good Friday are such holy days, we shouldn't just rush into them. In order to be ready to, to ponder who Jesus is and what he did for us, we should, we should actually take some special effort towards spiritual disciplines in this time of year as the days get longer. So that's its, sort of its history, and we begin with this service of Ash Wednesday, and we'll be explaining to you what the ashes are about in just a moment. But I get to begin with this cheery little verse from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can know it? Well, actually, if you're looking for a cheery Bible verse, you in general don't go to Jeremiah anyway. He's not known for his, uh, you know, joyful tidings. He's the weeping prophet. But in this verse, he, he gives us several significant points about the heart that are really important for us to know. And the first one is the heart is tricksy. So if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I borrowed that from Gollum, all right? So the heart is tricksy, and what I mean by that is this word deceitful doesn't necessarily mean that the heart is always wrong. It means it is fickle. It can't be trusted. You don't know whether your heart is going to tell you the truth or not. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. It's tricksy. And so when you fall in love, you may be really, you know, with someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and you might be totally deceived. Or when you say, well, I just want to be who I am. Well, where do you get who you are? It's from within, right? And you don't know whether that's really, you know, is your sin nature talking or is it your conscience talking? Or, you know, I just want to follow my conscience and let my conscience be my guide. Well, sometimes your conscience will lie to you. So the heart is... Trixie, and it's tricksy above all things. That is to say, it is the most fickle of anything that God has created, and that's the first point that Jeremiah makes about the heart. It's tricksy. The second thing that he says, it is that it is incurable. You can't fix this. You can't do something that makes your heart permanently reliable. It is beyond cure, this trixiness of the heart. So, you know, there are all sorts of surge. We have members in our church who can fix your knees when you get to a certain point and will give you a brand new knee we have members of our church who work at uh, an eye surgery place and they can put lasers in your eye and help you to see when you couldn't before surgery even took uh, two members of our church last year and one gave up her liver to her son and both of them are well i mean how surgery can fix a lot of things that are wrong with your body but they can't fix your heart You can never do a a surgery of any kind or take a pill or a medicine that will make your heart permanently reliable. And so Jeremiah is saying the heart is tricksy and it's incurable. And third, it is mysterious. That is, you can't even track and fully understand when your heart... So I'm doing a little thing right now. I haven't been sleeping quite as well. and I've I've got this very Bob uh, Excel spreadsheet. So I'm tracking, using my Fitbit, how many hours of sleep do I get, how much in REM, how much in deep sleep And the previous day, how much did I exercise, how much did I eat, when did I have my last caffeine? You know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff because I can track and figure out, my theory is, after 30 days, I can track and figure out why I sleep some nights better than another night. You can do all the tracking you want with your heart, and it's still mysterious. Like, you can't, you can't figure out a way to make it reliable. So Jeremiah says the heart is tricksy, and the heart is incurable, and the heart is also mysterious. You are familiar with the idea that in our Christian faith and all over the Bible, there's both good news and bad news. And uh, we are a faith that sometimes uh, seems like maybe we're playing with your mind. We're not doing it intentionally because both are true, but there's bad news and good news about our Christian faith. There's the bad news that we are all sinners that we are depraved, that we can't do anything right on our own, but there's the good news that we are created in the image of God. And so even within our unredeemed nature, there's good news and bad news, but there's also bad news and good news in the gospel because we're all doomed to an eternity without God, and yet Jesus makes a way for us to have a relationship with God and to live with him forever. And then even after you become a believer, you'd like to think that your heart is now okay and permanently good. Jesus gave me a new heart, right? But the truth is that we live in both Romans 7, which says, I'm trying to do what I can do, and I can't seem to consistently do it, and Romans 8 that says, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are live in Christ Jesus, and we can have victory in Jesus Christ. So we're always doing this sort of bad news and good news thing. What I want to tell you tonight is that the messages of Ash Wednesday are bad news that is really good news. So let's think about the two primary messages that you'll get from this service tonight. And the first one is, when you come forward... Uh, one of the pastors will place ashes on your forehead in the shape of a cross, unless you choose to skip that pastor, and we don't take offense if you walk right past us. but We'll place ashes on your forehead, and we will say to you, dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, that's bad news or good news? So you, you, I have an, an app on my phone, and people think I'm crazy, but five times a day my we Croak app says, don't forget, you're going to die. Not just on Ash Wednesday, but every day of the year, five times a day, I get a reminder that says, don't forget, you're going to die. Now, why would I put that on there? First of all, it's healthy to remember my mortality, but I actually think it's good news. The Heidelberg Catechism says that there are two effects of our death that we need to remember. The one is, kind of obvious, when we die, we get to enjoy eternal life with God, right? That's not bad news. That's good news. It's a transition to something else. But my favorite thing the catechism says that otherwise I probably wouldn't think about is that death puts an end to our sinning. I can't wait. Like, you know, I'm struggling all my life with how do I ever stop doing the things I'm not supposed to do? At death, when we know Jesus, we never sin again. Death puts an end to our sinning. So, Uh, even the fact that we are reminding you tonight, dust you are, and to dust you will return, seems like bad news, but it's also good news. I'd like to also suggest that the other piece of news we give you tonight is, seems like bad news, but it's good news. So this is the news that your heart is tricksy, and it's incurable, and it's mysterious. This idea of a depraved heart sounds like bad news, but I'd like to say it's really good news. There's an incredible amount of freedom when you stop hiding. One of the worst things in life is to know that you've done wrong and you're trying to keep it from everyone and you don't want them to know the truth about you. It's a terrifying thing. And so when we realize that before God, he knows everything and we actually are Sinners, not only in what we say and do, but it actually inside of our heart, and we can confess that. There's an incredible freedom in that. After all, what do we think we're doing? Like, God, I don't really want to tell you all of my sinful thoughts because you'd think less of me. Like, who are we trying to kid here, right? So it's actually freeing to be able to say, God knows exactly who I am, and he loves me where I am. Tim Keller says that to be um, known... And not loved is terrifying. To be loved and not known is comforting, but ultimately superficial. But to be fully known and deeply loved is what it means to know God. So the fact that God already knows that my heart is tricksy and incurable and mysterious is actually a very freeing thing. I don't have to hide that from Him. And furthermore, it's the best thing to happen to my relationships with other people because then I stop thinking the problem is always them and it actually frees me to be a sinner and to relate to another person and to give them the benefit of that and to love them because there are things that they can't see about themselves in the same way that I can't see things about myself. And it's actually a, it's very good news to know that in our efforts to have this ideal relationship, when I really acknowledge my heart, And their heart, it's so freeing just to be who we are and where we are and in a process that God is using to change both of us into the image of Jesus Christ. So what we come here tonight to remember seems like bad news. I think it's the best news of all. Death puts an end to our sinning. And we have the freedom to totally be who we are before God because he already knows us fully and he's already shown us in Christ that he loves us greatly. Amen.
0: Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Get closer to you guys. I love you.
2: So for everybody that's ever asked me, hey, how did you break your shoulder? Here it goes. So it was an afternoon in October. I'm on my bike. I'm on a trail that I've done a hundred times. I can't just jump a jump, guys. I've got to be stylish while I'm in the air who I am. I take off from the jump and I get my bike back underneath me and I've kind of tricked it in the air a little bit. Except for when I go to land, I don't land like normal. For some reason, I go straight to my shoulder. I don't know if you guys have ever fallen right on your face. That means you didn't even react hard enough to get your hands out in front of you, right? So I just fell straight to my shoulder and then immediately was like, this is not good. This is not good. And, And the pain Begins to seep in, and all of a sudden, like, you know, there's a little bit of roaring in your ears. And, you are you know, as a as a man, you do this, and we've gotten hit. We've been hit by different things. And so we get up, and we start kind of shaking things around. And we're like, is this still attached? Is that still attached? Is my head on? I had a helmet on, so I wasn't worried about that, but I had to smack my face. And I begin to come to, I, I think I'm okay, but I'm really in a lot of pain. I, I don't think I need to go to the hospital. So I get on my bike. And I start walking it while well, I get next to my bike. I pick it up and I start walking it. And I begin to walk to the top of the trail. So when you're injured, pushing your bike is not a lot of fun. And so I walk back to the top of the trail and I'm like, my car is a long way away if I walk. But if I bike, it is much less far away. And so I get on my bike and I begin to ride. But the problem was I did not realize that what I had done was I had broken my scapula in three places. I had four broken ribs and broken my collarbone. So all of those things worked against me And I began to black out While I was going about 25 miles an hour Down a hill on my bike That was not good The Lord at least gave me the sense To begin to pull the brakes So I began to pull the brakes I don't know if you've ever fainted Or blacked out or whatever But it, it looks normal And then blackness begins to come From every angle around you Until there's nowhere you can see And then you just kind of wake up A little bit later on I woke up in a poison ivy patch this deep it was great. So I spent the first few days with a broken shoulder in both places, broken ribs, also itching. So that was wonderful. I went to urgent care. My wife was out of town, so I would loved making that phone call. Sweetheart, let me tell you what I did to myself while you are gone. You know, I'm not even thinking about, you know, what's I'm thinking about how much this is going to cost. You know, is my bike okay, all this kind of stuff. Their x-ray machine was down. So we didn't really know what was going on, because what does an x-ray do? An x-ray, in a sense, what? Shines an incredibly powerful what? Light. A light that is so amazing that it pierces through flesh straight down to bone. A light that we can manipulate, and it can even pick up different tissue densities, so you can see the difference between, you know, just regular tissue and muscle tissue and organ tissue and all those kind of things, nerve tissue. And so I had to get my buddy Bill Parker on the phone and he lines me up to go have an MRI over at the Fry Imaging Center. There's sweet people over there. But there are days between when I have had the wreck and where I have not yet had the light shine in to tell me what's wrong. And there were certainly times in there where I started like even, you know, and it was a week between the two where I had my accident and where I was finally able to get into Fry. And during that week, your body is incredible. Your body is amazing. So I knew that something was wrong with my shoulder when I could, you know, wash my hair with this hand, but this one was kind of like not doing anything. But by about a week later, I, you know, I wasn't moving great, but I was starting to move and I was like, maybe I don't want to go find out. Maybe it's just better not to know. And I'll just kind of get better on my own. Guys, what do we call this? We call this walking it off, right? You can walk off a spinal injury if you walk long enough, we think, right? You know, my back's bro. I'll walk it off. You know, your dad tells you this, yeah, walk it off, son. You're all right, walk it off. I know you're about to give birth, woman, walk it off, you know, whatever. We, you know, but you can't walk it off. And so I was thinking, maybe I can walk it off. And the day came to go have my MRI, and, and part of me really didn't want to go, and part of me wanted to go. And so I go, and they give me this wonderful news. Actually, Dr. Parker gives me this wonderful news. And Dr. Parker, in his wonderful way, calls me, Paul. This is not good. <laughs> he was really loving how he did it, but you know, it was the bad news, but he gave it to me in such a sweet way. You know, you've got a comminuted fracture. And I was like, what does the Republic of Russia have to do with my, it's a like, comminuted. So anyway, but anyway. Ephesians 5 is all about light and darkness. And I loved how Kevin just read that in a way where you could hear it. And it ends up, and it says these incredible words, Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the worthless, dark, and evilness in the darkness, but instead rebuke and expose them. It is shameful to even talk about things that ungodly people do in secret. And this says in verse 13. But when the light shines on them, it becomes clear of how evil these things are. And where your light shines, it will expose those evil deeds. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So I want to remind you again about what Lent is all about. It was not fun to lay on that table. And if you've had an MRI, that's an interesting thing. You know, you kind of just feel like you're on an erector set and they're kind of taking you in and out of this thing and it's going, Whoa, and they're like, hold this so you can protect your organs or whatever. And, all, and you know, it's just weird. And this light is piercing you. You don't feel it, but it is doing its job. And then a light does three things. One of the things it does is a light makes things grow. Apart from the sun, we would not have a green thing on this earth. And even we figured out how to have artificial light and we can grow things inside, but you can't grow things in a closet. Light makes things grow. And one of the parts about Lent is the part where we want things in our life to begin to live and thrive, and we want things in our life to absolutely die. Do you know what I want in my life to die? when I am reading this, I'm so convicted because the part of me that I want to die is the part of me that instinctively clicks over to the four letter words when something I am frustrated about happens. I want that part of me to die. Well, how can I cause it to live? Keep bringing it out to the light. Keep strengthening it. Keep just nurturing it. I'm bringing it into the light. Well, the light actually won't let that live, but it will expose it to me and show me how sinful it is. But on the other hand, What do I want to live? What do I want to live? Because remember, what what does John the Baptist say when everyone says Jesus comes on the scene? He says, well, he must increase and I must decrease. Well, Lent's a time where you go, what do I want to thrive in my life? And I'll tell you what I want to thrive. I want the parts of me to thrive where it says right here at the very beginning, follow God's example in Jesus Christ. I want that part of me to thrive. I love to say this. You know what God's will for your life is? It's to be like Jesus. We could leave right now, but you want that to live, to thrive, bring it out into the light, that the light of Christ would strengthen that. That's what the part of Lent is about. What do you want to live? The next part about it is light also gives you room to work on things. Y'all, oh my goodness. Have you ever thought that you needed to go right to the eye doctor after you went to the dentist? You know why? Because they take that light, which is supposed to be shining in your mouth, and they go, I'm going to adjust this for a second. And then you happen to catch it in your eye, and then you're blind for the next five minutes. But why? They want to illuminate that whole cavern in there so they can get to your back molars. Good gracious, when they wheeled me into the operating room, I had not seen lights like this before. Have you ever heard a, a, you know, a surgeon say, hey, listen, guys, it's going to be a little special surgery. I want you to turn down the lights. Are you feeling like I'm feeling I'm ready to cut you open and get going? No, we, we illuminate so that we can work. And in reality, things get illuminated so there can be healing that can go on in our lives. So we invite the time of Lent. This is this part where we absolutely do lay on the table in front of Christ and go what David says in the end of Psalm 139. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way in me. And that light illuminates so that we can begin working on things that we wish weren't there. And we can begin working on things that we would like to improve on. The third thing that light does is it points out evil. Y'all, one of the funnest things that ever happens around here in our office, because all the ladies in the office think this guy is cute, but it's when the exterminator comes. Ladies in the office, I'm calling you out. They were like, he is so cute. I'm like, stop, I'm telling your husbands. But he comes around with this just lightsaber of, of a flashlight. And he's looking for black widows. Black widow spiders everywhere. And he's looking and he's pulling these things back. And the minute when he does, you know, he just breaks out like the DDT or whatever it is. And you can just see and he's going down. But you did the same thing for your children, didn't you, moms and dads? I can't go to bed. There's a monster under here. What'd you do? Did you go, listen, we're going to leave the lights on, tough it out, leave the lights off. And you flip the lights on, or if you're really cool, you brought the big, like, Laser Man 5000 flashlight in there, and you expose that there was nothing evil there. But on the other hand, you know, when our exterminator's here and he flashes his flashlight into that large, into that large corner in the nursery where the children are, you're thankful that he has that powerful flashlight to get deep into that crevice where whatever might be lurking in there that you would hate to crawl upon a baby here, right? We're talking about evil. And so this time of Lent is to literally lay out on the table before God. And just like here it says in verse 14, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. To say, Lord God, I'm standing before you. And there's... And there's just like you and I are just like I was in the week between when I had gotten hurt and when I had the light shine on me. And part of us, we just don't want to know. God, I'm afraid. And there was a part of me that I was like, they're just going to tell me that I'm good and walk it off. And I was like, yeah. but then the part of me that wanted to be better, to be well, to be healed, overrode that and said, now I want to know what the light's going to tell me. I want to know what the night's going to tell me because I want to be better. And so, as you say for these next 40 days, here I am, Lord. I'm lying out before you on your operating table. Remember, God is the absolute perfect healer. He does not shine his light on you and go, aha, you dark, evil person. He points it out to you in such a tender way. And he doesn't say, you've got to deal with that. He says, let's you and I deal with that. And by the way, remember, I loved you, I created you, and I gave my son for you. Do you think I'm in it with you? Lay out on that table and say, search my heart, know my thoughts, see if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because we are going to sin. For the next 40 days, we're going to sin. Lent is not about being sinless. It is about sinning less. And that's what we're looking for. We're saying, search my heart, know my thoughts, see if there's any hurtful way in me. The heart is fickle, tricksy. Shine your light in there, God. Show me so that we can heal it and I can be more like your son. And so I'm gonna read those first two verses again. Follow God's example in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice for you to take away your sins. And God was pleased because that sacrifice was like a sweet perfume to him.